Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast. Before I get started, I just wanted to take a minute to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I know some Christians don't celebrate um, Christmas uh, because they see, you know, the Christmas tree and Santa Claus and all of that as um, a, a pagan holiday. And uh, for me, I'm just celebrating the birth of Jesus. I don't um, look at, and, and this is just me personally, I don't look at the uh, Christmas tree and, and it doesn't get in the way of, of Jesus to me. And I even remember back when I was uh, growing up that the presence of God was always right there during this time of the year. <clears throat> and I'm going back a little bit, honestly. Um, you know, growing up as a, uh, as a kid in, in the 70s, I was born in 1965. So the year that I, um, the, the times that I lived in are a little bit different than today, maybe a little less commercial. I talk to some people and they say they really feel that by the mid-70s, Christmas was becoming very commercial. <clears throat> Excuse me, but, you know, when I think back about it, um, and, and even though I was brought up Catholic, you know, I don't know how you were brought up, but when God calls people, the Bible says that he called them from the foundations of the earth. And so from the moment you were born, his eyes were on you. Just think about that for a minute. And he was slowly revealing himself to you until the time came <clears throat> when you became conscious of him and you became conscious of Jesus in a different way. When you realize, when, when, when you had that revelation that, you know what, you need help. Um, you're you're kind of lost, aren't you? And, and I remember that for myself. I remember praying in 1986 and thinking to myself at the time that, well, I had the rest of my life ahead of me and... Surely my life couldn't be worse by choosing to do my best uh, to follow Jesus, follow God the Father, follow the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> renew my mind, and be the type of human being that God created me to be. Surely if I purpose to do that and, and purpose to, um, to, to live the kind of life that God wants me to live— Surely it couldn't be worse. I, I think it can't go worse. And that was my thinking. Because I believed at the time, nobody told me this, but I believed at the time that if you're going to believe, then you're going to have to put effort into it. You can't just say, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic or I'm Protestant or I'm Methodist or, or, or whatever. And, and, and you have this general knowledge like you do when you go to school and you get general knowledge of... I don't know, history, uh, like um, uh, the Revolutionary War or, or George Washington. You know, you have knowledge of people or Thomas Edison, and you tuck that away, and it really doesn't affect your daily life. But if anybody wants to talk about, um, well, who was, who was the uh, first president of the United States? You know, you can tell them. You know, you can give them the data. For some reason, and, and now I know it as the Holy Spirit, I knew at the time that I couldn't approach God that way as just being um, a bunch of information. And so that's, that's how my uh, journey began um, of, of consciously being aware that uh, 
um, Jesus was there, and, and um, you know, this was uh, this life was a lot different according to the Bible versus according to what I was seeing. So, what I mean by that, and and just as a nice segue into what I wanted to talk about today, was are all things possible for you in 2019? Are all things possible for you? And uh, 2019, it's a new year, and it can be just like any other year. <laughs> it really can. You know where it's a mixed bag, um, and, and life is what it is. We can't pretend like um, just because you believe that you don't feel all of the negativity that goes on around you or um, the sorrow that comes with just seeing how life is for some people. But the good thing about it is, is that we can we can do something about it. Now, when I look at 2019, when I look at this year coming up, and I compare what might happen, what possibilities are out there versus what's happened in the past, I recognize uh, certain things in myself that I can freely share uh, with you here on this podcast. And I realize that there have been times in my life where I've looked forward to what was coming, and I thought to myself, all things are possible for me. Um, I can make a difference. Um, I can receive God's best in my life. And just going forward like a lion, you know, um, fearless. And uh, then I know that there's other times where that word possibilities, where I replaced it with the word probabilities. And instead of looking at all things being possible, I started thinking about what things were probable. And, and that really shrunk down um, what you might call hope for tomorrow. Because when you start looking at what things are probable, you're doing it based on what your experience has been up until this point in your life. You're looking at what the experiences have been for your friends and your loved ones. And you, start, you stop looking at possibilities and you start looking at probabilities. And when that happens, God, it's like, um, you know, you're... you're you're, you sh- everything just shrinks down and, and, and it's like the, the vibrant color of life it becomes uh, dulled. Maybe not black and white, but, but dulled. And if there's one word that I can use to, to describe this experience, it would be the word unbelief. It would be the word unbelief. Can you have faith and unbelief at the same time? I, I believe you can. Now, um, let me explain what I mean by that. And here's a, let me let me share a few scriptures with you too, because I think these scriptures really spell it out pretty good. Um, two instances I want to look at as at the same event happening, where a man brought his son who was having epileptic seizures to um, Jesus's disciples, to Jesus and to Jesus's disciples. So I look at it this way. Wherever Jesus went when he was on this earth, his disciples went with him. They followed him. And other people did too. And so if you couldn't get to Jesus directly, then the chances were good that you could get him to one of the disciples. And that's what they were there for. That's why Jesus trained them, because they represented him, because he couldn't be everywhere at one time when he was in a flesh and blood body. You know, God has designed this whole thing to work through people, human beings. And so in Mark chapter 9, verse 17, um, it, this is what it says. 
And one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I have brought my son who has a dumb spirit to you. And whenever he seizes him, the dumb spirit, he dashes him. Think of that. Now, this is, I'm reading what's called the modern King James Version. Um, there's an American King James, a regular King James. If you want to know what the difference are, uh, what the differences are verse by verse, then you can use Bible software like esword.com, which is free. And, um, and there's other online versions of it. And you can compare verse by verse to see how they change things. So, um, and in some cases, they take away from the truth. I really believe that. And uh, in other cases, it gives you a, another word that kind of wakes you up to maybe something that you've glossed over um, before in, in the other version. I grew up reading the King James Version, um, and, that, and that's the version that I knew of. And then over time, I switched to the new King James <clears throat> Version. And so, um, but let's get back to this. <laughs> what it says here, teacher, I brought my son who has a dumb spirit to you. Imagine going to the doctor today and saying, um, my, um, my son or, or my child or whatever has a dumb spirit. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder how the doctor or, or the nurse or, or all of them would, would look at you. And this is what the spirit does. Of course, I guess if you believe that, if you really believe that, then you would be thinking that the doctor's probably the second best option, or not even a good option at all. And here's the interesting thing about it. Um, where did this belief come from, that when people had sicknesses, they were spirits? Now, I haven't gone verse by verse in the Bible, um, and kind of like isolated these sicknesses and say, okay, this... Here it says it's a spirit, but it seems like it was general knowledge that when people were sick, it was caused by spirits, Satan, um, e by an evil power. <coughs> Excuse me. And I wonder now, reading this, that if you changed your thinking to that way, if you, it would be easier to pray for people that had infirmities if you looked at them as, as, as spirits. I don't know. I'm asking that. I'm putting that open question out there. But, but listen to what it says in the 18th verse. And whenever he seizes him, he dashes him. Now, let me throw this in there, too, before I, I, I go any further with this. I'm sorry, I just want to talk this out. Um, as much for me <laughs> as for you. But think about this. Um, when, when people have a, a seizure uh, today, there, there's an explanation for it. A person has a disease, right? And, and this disease is caused by... Uh, something happening in the person's body, and maybe it's caused by too much of 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 this, um, too much of something in their system, or not enough of something, or a combination of of things that can be seen in a microscope. And so you would say it's not a spirit; it's a physical infirmity, and we we treat it with medicine, right? So now imagine this: imagine that. It's the it's a spirit being and its presence that causes those things to exist in the body. Is that possible? I mean, do can invisible things um, affect the world around us? I mean, let's say you don't even believe in spirits, but can in things that are invisible to the eye? Well, obviously, yeah, because there's things that 
are microscopic that we can't see that affect the human body all the time. And some even for better, right? There's things in your body that fight off um, sickness and disease and things like that. But I'm saying that this kind of, of, of teaching, uh, we really don't see too much anymore. And, and of course, the reason why is, is because you don't want people ridiculing you. And I mean, some people really don't care. But I mean, all, all things being equal, if you probably, if you were, um, if, if you got called by the school and you went in to pick up your son or daughter, they were small, and they say um, they um, have a fever and they need to go home, or you need to bring them to the doctor, and you said, no, they don't need a doctor, they just have a spirit of infirmity in them, and you rebuked it, um, they would probably want to take the child away from you in, in our modern society. Even if you rebuked it and the fever left, right? They would probably be, you know, there's weird things or some kind of cult going on, right? Because that's the way the world is today. You know, it's, they're, it's not, and, and this book, the Bible, God's word is looked at as being backwards, right? So even as a, a believer today in going into 2019, there's pressure on you to uh, change your language, adjust the things that you say, to fit what's acceptable to the masses, right? The, the terrible thing about adjusting what you say is what you say affects your heart, right? So if somebody says something is uncurable and you say it's uncurable, it basically you say, Lord, can, can you help us with the situation? It's uncurable. You're basically what you're saying is, is it can't be cured and, and that affects your heart. Right, um, unbelief and fear take hold when you say something's uncurable, or when you hear that something's uncurable. That's why Jesus said, "Take, take heed in what measure that you hear." Right, a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Take heed what you hear. So, um, all right, let's go a little bit further. Verse eighteen says, "And and whenever it seizes him, the spirit he dashes him, kind of like dashes against a rock, throws down, and he foams and gnashes at the teeth, and pines away." And so that's really a pretty dramatic picture there, isn't it? And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now remember when Jesus originally gave his disciples power and authority, and he said, go out in my name, do these things? You know, and the commission he gave them, not at the end of the Gospels, but right in the middle when he said, go out in my name, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, all of those things he told them to do. And they came back and they said, Lord... Even the spirits are subject to us in your name. Even the spirit. I mean, they were really excited about that. Even the spirits. Well, they couldn't see spirits. Right? They had to walk by faith, just like we do today. But obviously, they could see the results of what the spirits did. Or they believed that the spirits were the powers behind all these infirmities. Because when they came back, they were excited. They said, even the spirits are subject to us. In your name. And what did he say? Rejoice not that the spirits are subject uh, to you, but that your names are written in the book of life. And, and so that that's the main thing, of course, right? But you don't throw out one and keep the other. You know, some people say we shouldn't be caught up in the supernatural stuff with healing. The important thing is that you're a good person. And the important thing is that, um, you know, you, you love God and but all of these things are, there's nothing that Jesus did that was not important. Right? All of these things are, it's like saying, which side of a coin is more important? The heads or the tails? 
which side of a dollar bill is more important? Or which side of a hundred dollar bill? <laughs> right? If one side is gone, it loses its overall value. And the message, the gospel message of good news, what did Jesus send the disciples out to do? What was the Great Commission? It was everything. It was salvation of, the, of a person from spirit to soul to body. Jesus did it all. And the disciples, that's the kind of message they preached. Right? That's why people were thronging him. Because he was meeting, he came to meet the total need of mankind. Right? And then, at the end, after he left, he sent the Holy Spirit down to earth to those who would believe. And they would all carry out the commission to the ends of the earth. That's pretty exciting. Right? And, and think about that. When they were going out on this great commission, they weren't thinking that, well, you know, what's really probable here? What's really probable? Well, you know, there's a whole Roman Empire, and it's filled with, you know, all of these false deities and false gods, and 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 people really don't have love in their hearts, and and we're, you know, well, maybe we'll be able to change a few lives here and there. Now they went out to turn the world upside down, right? Because they believed all things were possible, and and you can read about what happened in in church history, and um, so. Let's go on and look at this story that we're reading here. Because he said, I finished up with, And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast them out, and they could not. Um, the same story in the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 17 uh, and verse 14. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came to him, kneeling, da kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and grievously vexed. So now we see a little bit more about this story. And if you combine those two stories together, you get a, an even bigger picture of what happened. Number one, um, the son has a dumb spirit. Number two, the spirit has like a, puts the son in seizures. And number three, he is a lunatic. So we get like a complete picture of what this boy was like. For he is a lunatic and grievously vexed. For oftentimes is a little bit different than seldom, right? For oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. So this sounds like a condition that was like 24-7, 365. Well, back in Hebrew calendar, it'd be 360. Uh, and it says, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Right? So how did they try and cure him? They tried to cast the spirit out. Right? I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they couldn't. That's how they handled the problem. Now, what did, what did Jesus say? Verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless. What does faithless mean? Faithless is unbelief, non-believing, doubting, and perverse generation. Not just <laughs> faithless. But for perverse, maybe the perverseness is a result of the faithlessness or the doubt. That's how he looked at people in that situation. Oh, faithless and per perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. You know, that's like saying, imagine that you're working for somebody and you're doing something and something goes wrong 
And you go to that person who hired you, trained you, taught you, and you said, I can't get this to work. I can't fix this. It's not working. And they eyes rolled back in their head and they were just exasperated suddenly. And they said, you know, I'm not going to always be here to be able to do this for you. You know, I'm not always going to be able to help you here. So, see, a lot of times, well, I don't want to go down this road, but I just want to leave that as a question mark in, in your mind. Just think about that. How long, he says, will I suffer you? Bring him here to me. In other words, do I have to do this? And Jesus rebuked the demon. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that hour. Now, listen, he rebuked the demon. Probably just told him, get out. And the spirit departed. And the child was cured from that hour. So the disciples came to Jesus apart, and they said, why could we not cast him out? Now, think about, think about that for a minute. They asked the question. So they probably did the exact same thing that Jesus did. They probably said the, the same or similar words. Maybe they said them a hundred times. Who knows? Because the man said, I brought, the, I brought, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out and they could not. It says that in Mark 9.18, right? In Matthew 17.16, it says, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. In other words, they're saying Jesus didn't work for us this time, right? And, and how did Jesus respond Oh, faithless, it's your faith. And the disciples came to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? You know, I I can see why they did that. They were probably, <clears throat> as I heard one preacher years ago say, they were probably embarrassed to ask in front of the Father. Right? Because I think they kind of sort of knew the answer. <laughs> and Jesus said, verse 20, <coughs> excuse me, Matthew 17, 20, and Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for truly I say to you, now in the King James Version, it uses the phrase verily, verily. And I heard a expert, yeah, I know, sometimes experts, what they say really is, is meaningless. But in this case, it made me sit up and listen. An expert in the Greek language and said that in the original translation, the words Verily, verily, that some of the modern translations have translated into the word truly, connotates this thought. There's a connotation, a strong connotation of this thought. What I'm about to say is so incredible, but before I say it, I assure you that it's going to be true. <clears throat> Let me say that again. Verily, verily, in the original Greek, the connotation of the Greek words... You know, sometimes you can read in a concordance and that gives you an idea of the language. And maybe there's several words in there that that word can be translated as. And so you try and look at the context that's been used in other scriptures, right? And so that you can understand it's the depth of its meaning. You know, the English language has got a lot of depth to it and all languages really do. But if you're not part of the culture, then sometimes you really don't get the meaning as clearly as you would um, if you were part of that culture. And and according to what they said, according to this man, verily, verily, um, is inferring that what I'm going to say is so incredible, but I just I want to assure you that it is the truth. Verily, for truly I say to you, if you have faith 
like a grain of mustard seed. Right. And you shall say to this mountain. So there's two things here. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there and it shall move and nothing shall be impossible to you. Think about that. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Right? Now, impossible and improbable is totally different, right? He didn't say all things are probable for you if you believe. No, he said all things are possible. Probable leaves a out that it may not work. You know? So somebody said, if you ask the person that you work for and you said, um, is there is there a chance that I can get a raise next year? You know, I think money's a little tight. And he or she said, well, probably. What does that mean? That means there's a good chance. But a chance is just that. These words are emphatic. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Think about it. All things are possible to those who believe. Well, let, let's look at some other um, scripture verses, what Jesus said. You know, people have changed their teaching, have changed and created whole doctrines to explain the effects of unbelief and doubt. Think about that. Why? Because if you, if you put yourself in a position of a preacher and you said all things are possible, nothing is impossible, and you pray for somebody and they died, and then the, the survivors came back to you and said, hey, I, you know, you said that and you lied. And, and imagine being in that position. That's not really a, a, a good position to be in. But look, Jesus put it out there like that. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And all things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Uh, regular King James says, in all things whatsoever you ask. And all things, whatever. All things and whatever means what? What does that leave out? And I have to say that as individuals, we decide what all things really means. And we narrow it down. Our, our personal all things really isn't all things. Let that sink in for a minute. And why? Because we're all affected by unbelief. There's not a single one of us that doesn't get affected by unbelief. There's actually a cure for unbelief. There is. And I'm going to share that too with you. right? Because I need to, to take the same medicine that I'm encouraging you to take. Well, because I've seen the power of God work uh, in manifestation throughout my whole life. And I've also seen prayer fail. I've seen my own prayers fail. And when it, when it does, it's really tempting to create a reason that takes the emphasis off of your own doubt and unbelief and put it somewhere else. Why? Because it's tough to deal with. Honestly, it's tough to deal with. And, and I want you to, to put this in other, in other things. How many times do you mess up in your life when you knew better? Think about that. How many times do you make mistakes in your life when you knew better? And, and, and after the fact, you realize that you shouldn't have made that mistake, right? Maybe you drove faster than you should have, or you were changing something on the radio, or 
you look down for too long. And you know you're not supposed to do that, but you did it anyway, and it resulted in an accident. How many times have you had? How many times have you ever uh, broken something that, and it was a result of your carelessness, and you knew you shouldn't have been careless, but you were careless anyway? How many times have you hurt somebody's feelings or said something totally stupid and got in trouble, and you knew you shouldn't have said that, but you did it anyway? How many, how many times? I mean, our whole lives are filled with instances like this, right? We knew what we were supposed to do, but we didn't do it. And, and we can have all kinds of, we can justify all kinds of, I was tired and, you know, and the, and the list goes on and on, right? But I, I think we, st- we need to start doing this when it comes to prayer and faith also, where you knew you were supposed to believe, but you didn't, you doubt it. And we need to take responsibility for that, the way we take responsibility for the other flubs that we make in life. But instead, most people will, it's easier for them to put the blame on God. It's easier for them to create um, doctrines that say, well, sometimes God isn't just willing, right? I mean, think about it. If you pray for somebody and they died and you got to heaven and God told you, if you would have believed, I could have, I could have worked and you, and you know, that rubs people really wrong because that's, in, in essence, you're kind of saying that um, it's your fault, right? It's your fault that person died because you weren't believing, you know? And that's a lot to put on, on somebody. But, you know, in, in life, we, we do things that are our fault all the time that hurt other people. Maybe it doesn't cost them their life or, <clears throat> but, you know, God knows everything, I look at this and the balance to it is, is that the worst thing that can happen for a Christian is that they die of a horrific disease and then they wind up in heaven. And when they're in heaven, they never have to go through disease, sickness, death, sorrow, anything again. They're so happy. Do you think when they, when you get there, if that was the case, right, if your belief could have saved them, do you think when you get there that they're going to say, you know what, we really need to sit down and talk because if, if, you would have believed I could have gotten another 10 years out of life. You know, I could have, I could have lived to be 90 instead of dying at 80, or I could have lived 20 more years, or, or, or whatever. Do you think that they were bummed out because like, they won the consolation prize? They didn't get to live out 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth? Oh, absolutely not. You know, they're going to be overjoyed that they got there. Matter of fact, they probably would have said if you asked them, you know, we'll all have to talk about this in heaven. Look me up. <laughs> If the rapture happens, look me up, you know, after everything settles down. Uh, If not, we have eternity. I'm sure we'll bump into each other. Um, So tell me you like this podcast. I would appreciate it. Tell me that it was a blessing to you. If you never tell me in this lifetime, tell me when we get to heaven that, hey, Jim, I listened to your podcast. I really enjoyed it. It gave me some encouragement. But no, seriously, I mean, that's the worst thing that can happen to somebody. It's not really bad at all. But we look at it down here as, as a crisis. Right? Somebody just lost a son or a daughter. Somebody just lost a father or a grandfather or, or, or whatever. You know, but in eternity, the time we spend here is kind of like, I mean, remember when, when you were in high school, you spent four years. Um, if you went through high school, you spent all your, your four years. Remember when you were actually there, it seemed like it was going to last forever. You mem- remember when you were a freshman and you're trying to adjust and it seems like there's men and women uh, walking down the hall and you're a child. Didn't it feel like that back then? You know, like you were a child in the midst of adults. Like you didn't even really belong there. And then, you know, you get to the point where 
all right, now you grow up and then you become like the the leader. You know, you become the oldest person. You kind of look down at the the younger ones, you know, they're not as mature, they're not as happening and you know, you're getting ready to graduate and go out into the world. And then you go out into the world and it's like a you know, it's it's a different place. You know, and now I'm saying based on my experience of uh getting out of high school in the 80s, <clears throat> I don't know when you got out of high school, but um you know, in, in the context, now that seems like so long ago, right? So for me, I got out and I actually started school a year late. So I got out. We were moving at the time. So I started kindergarten a year late. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I look back at that now. 1984 is quite a long time ago, <clears throat> over 30 years ago. And um, and it was just like a, a, a little drop in time. Well, when you when you get, live in the heavenly realm, I'm sure you look back at your life here on earth and it was just like that. It was just a small spot in time, you know, that you made a bigger deal of than you probably should have and you overemphasized everything and 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 at, at the end it was really about the people, right? The people make the experience. So, and at the end of ours it will be <clears throat> did we do of our lives? Did we do what God called us to do? Did we become the kind of person did we affect and change some lives here on this earth? Did we, did we follow our calling? I guess is basically what it, what it comes down to. Right. So when we look at 2019 now going forward, let, let me just look at the year based on these verses. These are Jesus's words, not explanations of doubt and fear and unbelief and uncertainty. But this is what the man said, right? This is what the son of God said. He said, John 15 verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Notice he doesn't say you shall ask what my father wills. He said you shall ask what I will if my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Well, you know, there's not like a giant Jesus where we, you know, we climb up the stairs and there's like a, a door in the back of his lower back and we step into it and now we're in we're in Christ. Right? We're spiritually we are in Christ the moment we believe. Right? We become part of his body. That's what the church is. The church Jesus is is Jesus's body, right? Um means that the whole the collective. It's another way of saying the collective, all of us. We have his same spirit. Just the way members of a family um you know like a bloodline, right? We're we're part of heaven's bloodline, I guess, if you want to look at it, part of Jesus' bloodline. If you abide in me, if you live in me, you stay close to me in your heart, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. John 16, verses 13, 12 and 13. Many things I have to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. So think about that. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Not other men, men, women, they're teachers, and that's fine. They give you information, but the Holy Spirit is your guide. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he shall speak, and he will announce to you things to come. Isn't that interesting? Right. So in the Old Testament, people follow prophets and what the prophet said. But here in the New Testament, people follow the Spirit and what the Spirit says. Isn't that true? John 16, verses 23 and 24. And in that day, the day he leaves, you shall ask me nothing. What did you say? How long will I be with you? He said to the disciples, how long will I be with you? 
right? And here he says, that was in uh, Matthew 17. Um, and now in John 16, verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing, right? In that day, meaning the day you left. For truly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So here he's talking about prayer is made to the Father in Jesus' name, right? That's a little bit different. Asking God for something and casting a spirit out of something. He never told the disciples to ask God to cast the devil out of somebody. He told them to go and do it in his name. What do you tell them? Heal the sick, raise the dead, do all these things. I'm not saying that you don't pray at all. You just start speaking in the name of Jesus, but the things are combined together. In other words, in the book of Acts, when you see Peter praying over Dor when Dorcas was dead, um, I don't have the reference off on the tip of my uh, tongue right now, but um, it says he prayed, then he turned to the body and he spoke to it and commanded it to leave. It doesn't say what he prayed, right? But obviously... Um, he was talking to God and getting his heart um, in a place where he could speak in faith. Right? Because they already knew, they already knew that failure is a result, according to this, of doubt and unbelief. Now, you know, somebody may say, I have an objection. You can't say in all situations that it's a result of a lack of, of faith. I've heard people say that for a, a long time. The interesting thing is that Jesus didn't explain any of that to his disciples, did he? So, in other words, we may think, well, sometimes it's not that. I know I was believing. I just don't understand why it didn't come to pass. Well, the short answer to that is you were believing in, in your heart, but you weren't believing in I mean, you were believing in your head, but you weren't believing in your heart, right? That can be, and that opens up another can of worms because you can say, well, how do I know the difference? You know, and, and it becomes very frustrating. People are very frustrated by this quote unquote faith thing. But I believe Jesus had an answer to that also. Because in Luke 18, 1, he said, men ought always to pray and not to faint and not to give up. And he talked about the, um, the woman and the unjust judge who continuously came and said, get justice uh, for me, for my, from my adversary. I, I think that's really what it comes down to. But I think, I think that most of the time what we're dealing with is the root of our unbelief and, the, and, and, and then we, we live with it for so long. Lord, help me put this in the way that makes sense that the people listening right now can, can grasp it. I'm going to read to you from uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. It says, My children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is the modern King James. And in this we shall know that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. <clears throat> in your own heart, when you love in deed and in truth... Right. And, and, and you you don't just love in word, but you love in action. You assure your heart before God. Verse 20, that if our heart accuses us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, this was this is John. Most ex, most scholars agree. This is John, the disciple John, who wrote the letters first, second and third John. He says that if our heart accuses us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, he says, if our heart does not accuse us, 
Now, the regular King James uses the word condemn. Beloved, if our heart does not accuse us or condemn us, we have confidence towards God. We can take that word confidence out and put the word faith in there instead. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, right there, I believe in, in our modern time that we're in right now is the number one reason unbelief overrides belief more often than not, is because of self-condemnation. I believe that inside, most of us have been taught in a legalistic way, right? The base of our, of our faith is more legalistic than it is in grace. Think about that for a minute. What what did um, th think about this? Here here's a, a a quick quote from Second Corinthians chapter three, and it says there that God has made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit makes alive. What does the letter kill? What does the law kill? Because the law and the letter are synonymous. They're one and the same thing. The law and the letter kills, but the Spirit makes alive. Remember the Bible says, by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves? Well, I believe that the reason why Jesus was thronged by people was because he made everybody feel welcome. He made people feel unafraid of God. I really believe that because how could he be surrounded by harlots and tax collectors and all of these sinners, why did they come to him in such great multitude? And he even ate with them. And what did the Pharisees say? This man eats with sinners. But something happens once a person believes, right? And now other, other believers <clears throat> judge them under the letter again, right? There's a new letter that takes place of the old one. If somebody comes into a church and they say that they are, um, I don't know, a pimp or a prostitute or that they've um, embezzled money and, and they say they're lost, it's incredible the love that person gets, you know. But when somebody comes in and they, and they're, who's already in the church and they suddenly um, do something that's like that when they fall, then they're basically cast out into outer darkness by the by the by most of the people in in the congregation. They're never looked at the same again. Right? So, so the the forgiveness takes on a different kind of nature after the fact, right? As if you knew better, but you did it anyway. You knew you were going against God, but you did it anyway, right? And there's kind of like one eyebrow raised from that point forward when it comes to that person. Now think of how the person feels. Think of how you feel. Have you ever felt like you've really not lived your life the way God want it, wants you to? Have you ever felt like you're not really the person that God designed you to be because you're too lazy? Or because you're too self-centered? Or because you're too impatient? Did you ever look at yourself? The more you look at yourself, honestly, the more things you find wrong. Even even as a believer. I mean, am I am I... Telling the truth, or am I, am I exaggerating? I'll leave that up to you. And so today, what religion has done is I believe it's infiltrated and replaced 
the, the position that was given to the spirit. The spirit makes alive. Here, here is a, um, something that I can throw out to you. If you're a believer and you're struggling with something in your life, you may find that if you just um, come to God and admit that you're powerless to overcome certain habits or certain ways of thinking or certain ways of doing things that you know aren't good and you've tried before to overcome those things in the past, if going into 2019, you will admit your helplessness and you will admit your weakness, then you will be in a place finally where the strength and power of God will come and rest on you. I can say that from experience. You can go out and read testimonies about it. But as long as you're still trying in your own strength and convincing yourself that that's God's strength, in other words, God's giving you an eyedropper worth of strength and you're applying it to like 20 different areas in your life and it's not working in any of them. And so you try praying harder, doing all these things harder. Remember, the letter, the law kills. The law is putting everything on you. What does it say here again? It says, um, we assure our hearts before God. Why is it important to assure your own heart? Because if your own heart isn't assured, if your own heart is accusing you, then you don't have confidence towards God. And if you don't have confidence towards God, then your faith cannot move mountains. You're like the disciples trying to cast the spirit out and they say, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We tried, we couldn't. Why couldn't we do it? Because of your unbelief. Because of you. If, if you want to look, if you want to use your life as a reason for prayer failures, right? If you want to put your, and you ask yourself, why am I not being healed? Why are we still struggling uh, to make ends meet? Why are the doors of prosperity not opening or, or, or whatever it is? Why do I still struggle with these habits? You know, um, why am I still alone? You ask those questions, hard questions um, to yourself, and, and you match your life up with what we see in this book, the blueprint of what God has offered to us. I think that you'll find that it's your own heart. And maybe it's the enemy lying to you, Right. And, and and keeping you under condemnation so that you don't have confidence towards God, right? But according to 1 Corinthians one thirty, Jesus has been made unto us wisdom, righteousness. Righteousness means um, right standing with God. Jesus has been made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification. That's another word for holiness. Jesus has sanctified us, put us apart, separated us. And redemption. What's redemption mean? <laughs> Redemption is you have been redeemed back from the curse. The penalty has been paid. Jesus went to the cross and said, it is finished. He meant exactly that. If there's an example that you can see in the Bible where he played this out was at the Last Supper, right? What did he do? He washed their feet. He washed their feet and, and uh, Peter said, well, no, not Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my whole body. First, he didn't want his feet to be washed. No, Lord, you won't do this for me. I will, you know, I'll wash my own feet. No, he says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. In other words, what he was saying is, and, oh, let me finish that thought. And then he went on to say, you don't need your whole body washed. You've already been clean through the word that was spoken. Just you need your feet washed. That's the daily Christian experience. You're clean from the word that you heard, the gospel, the good news. Your belief in Jesus makes you clean, but you need to be washed, right? If we say we have no sin, John says, we lie and the truth is not in us, right? If we, he included himself in that. We all sin, but you have to find a way 
you have to learn that you have to get that accusation. If your heart accuses us, right, you have to free yourself from condemnation, from self-condemnation, especially. Right? And that's what prayer does. First John 3.21 in the um, CEV version, I think that's a contemporary English version. Listen to what this says. This says, Dear friends, if we feel at ease in the presence of God, we will have courage to come near him. <clears throat> that's the other translation from, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So, dear friends, if we feel at ease in the presence of God, we will have courage to come near him. What? Faith is courage. Doubt is fear. Doubt is lack of certainty. Right? If somebody's sick and you pray and you have fear, there's a lack of certainty that that person's going to get well. Right? Can, can anybody say that they have never experienced that? Absolutely not. Right? So if you're praying and you're not, you're not receiving in your life the outward coming to pass of that thing, let me finish up by saying this. If you're looking at yourself as the problem and trying to fix yourself, you'll never be able to do that. And this is your encouraging word for 2019. Are all things possible to you? Yes, but if you finally get your eyes off of yourself and stop condemning yourself and put them on Jesus and receive his forgiveness in your heart, which means you will have to read, possibly spend some time reading scriptures, not just on healing and miracles, but on forgiveness so that you can assure your own heart that you are forgiven, so that you can assure your own heart that the Holy Spirit is in you, that you do have the nature of God. But, you know, we live in, we live in a flesh and blood body, right? The Bible says that the, the, fle the uh, fleshly lusts war against our soul. Peter said that. He said, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against our soul. It's a war to live in this flesh and blood body. <clears throat> that means it's not easy, but there is a solution and it will work and it will work every time. One last verse, um, Proverbs chapter four, verses 20 through 22. It says, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ears unto my saying, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. That word health there is also translated medicine in the Hebrew language. God's word is medicine to all their flesh. So the, the cure for unbelief, the medicine for it, is God's word. And in order to put that in there, sometimes you need to pray and you need to just sit there. And I say sit in the presence of God. Wherever you are, the presence of God is there with you because Jesus said, I'll my Father will come and I will come to you, will never leave you or forsake you. Right? But, but you have to quiet yourself and just read those scriptures over and over and over again until they affect your heart, until they remove that unbelief. And I'm telling you from experience, the only way I've been able to do that sometimes is to just make that scripture verse the most important thing in my day and do that one day at a time. Write it, tape it places, put it inside your wallet, really get serious about taking God's medicine. Right? When, you take, when, a, when somebody gives you a prescription... Right? You take it three times a day, twice a day, whatever the recommendation is here. The Bible says God's word is medicine, and the recommendation of the daily doses is not don't let it depart from your eyes. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Don't let it depart from your eyes. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. Keep it in the midst of your heart. The only way you can do that 
is to not let it depart from your eyes. So write it down, read it, read it, read it until the symptoms of unbelief lift. Right? We all have unbelief in different areas that we wrestle with. And it's not enough to just remember the scriptures like you remember that George Washington was the first president and then pray and wonder why it's not working. Right? Obviously, the disciples that said, why couldn't we cast him out, didn't realize they were in unbelief. Or they wouldn't ask the question, why couldn't we cast him out? Because of your unbelief. What's the cure of unbelief? Some people say it's prayer and fasting. Right? But when you look at scriptures, the next thing that happens a lot of times is that you go into that prayer mode where you start talking to God about it. Let me tell you something. Um, in last the year before last, my, my dad fell and broke his hip, and he had to go to the rehab, and he's in his 80s. I remember going there, and he was just so discouraged to be there at first. You know, he was down on himself. I could tell that, you know, he was just feeling old and broken. And there were a lot of people in there like that. But <clears throat> the nice thing about the nurses, they were very helpful, encouraging. But they gave some tough love, too. They didn't just let you wallow in your, in your misery. You know, and some people were willing to receive that and some people weren't. You know, and then you go home and, and sometimes you have to walk with a cane or you walk with a limp or you have pain. Right? It's the same way with doubt and fear and unbelief. You know, sometimes you go through that process where, where it's almost like you're being nursed back to faith health. Right? Because everything around us is doubt, fear, unbelief, and, and works of darkness. And so this scripture, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. it um, you know, and that even means asking a spirit to leave like they did if they believe. Right? What did Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you do that a few times, and nothing happens. And so people say, well, that doesn't work anymore. And they make a whole teaching out of it. <clears throat> but then when you see it's happening for some people, then you ask, well, why isn't it happening for me? Why is it working for some people? Why do I see these testimonies online? Surely all, not 100% of these people are lying, Right? I, you know, truly all the medical records aren't, aren't faked. You know, truly the re there is real thing out there, you know, and there is. I've experienced it and I know other people who have, and I've read the testimonies probably just like you have, right? So if the question is, why, isn't, why doesn't it work for me? Well, I say the answer would be the same thing the answers was for Jesus' disciples who lived with him 24-7. <laughs> Think about that. If you live with somebody like Jesus, for 24-7, his physical presence there. You can ask him questions, get the answers, see the miracles. And you can still be in unbelief after all that, right? How could you say, no, I was definitely believing. I wasn't doubting. I just doesn't work. It must not have been God's will. How could you come to that conclusion? Right? Because you're not taking the responsibility, right? I've been there, done that. So I'm not accusing you of anything that I haven't done myself. I'm just saying, let's not focus on the problem, but let's acknowledge the problem and then start getting to the answer instead of just living with it and living with a subpar experience in 2019. All things are possible for you. You're just going to have to take the scriptures that you need to get your own healing accomplished, to get over your own unbelief. Whatever your heart is accusing you of, you need to find the scriptures that promise you the restoration of that thing. Right, So if it's just weakness of the flesh, you have to know that it is written. When we're weak, then we're strong. 
when you're weak, when you acknowledge it, that's when the grace, God's unearned favor, can rest upon you. When you're at the place where you, where you feel like you're just bankrupt, where you have no answers left, that's the place when you acknowledge that to God and are open humbly for his help, then it really comes. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Again, God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I look forward to talking with you again next time.